You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 36, airing on August 30th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we have been working together now for a year and a half on the podcast, this show, to do whatever we can to end human trafficking and looking at as many aspects as we can to educate ourselves and educ- and help us then to educate others to really um, study these issues, be a voice so we can ultimately make a difference in helping end trafficking. And today we're going to look at a group of folks who are so important in all of our lives and talk about how they can use great resources and tools to combat trafficking. And it's a group that is close to both of our hearts, and that is healthcare providers and people who uh, touch our lives and care for us and heal us. And there is so much that they can do uh, to help combat this. And there's also, unfortunately, um, uh, mistakes that can be made that uh, really prevent someone from really uh, addressing a trafficking issue or addressing an issue in the healthcare system, that if the right question isn't asked at the right time, a lot of times things can fly under the radar very easily. So it's a really important issue for us to address today. And you may be, as you're listening to this show, thinking, well, I'm not a healthcare provider. Uh, And if you're thinking that, uh, I would challenge you to think of who you know that is a healthcare provider because that's someone that you may want to take this information to or even have them listen to this episode. But even if you're not a healthcare provider, if this is an issue you care about, knowing how healthcare plays a role in this conversation is of critical importance to understanding what we can do to help end human trafficking. And as you're listening today, you will undoubtedly want to jump into the conversation with more questions, comments, feedback for us, Uh, questions for Sandy. And there's two ways to reach out to us. One way is to call us, and that phone number is 714-966-6361. Or you can reach us by email, and that email address, Sandy? At gcwj at vanguard.edu. And that, of course, stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice, which is housed at Vanguard University of Southern California, which sponsors us. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome and know that Sandy, who's just about to uh, uh, jump in here with a lot of information, is the center's director and someone who just is so, uh, Sandy brings so much wisdom to this topic. And I'm so glad to be partnered with you and have the opportunity to learn from you on each one of these episodes. And I know so much of our listening audience really relies on you for being such a great resource for information. So, uh, so let's let's jump right in and 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 actually look at first a uh, a story that comes from the uh, I believe it's the Rescue Restore yes uh, project Rescue Restore. from mm-hmm. the Department of Health and Human Services. And I think this story is very uh, is very telling for how healthcare can really 
play a role in ending human trafficking. Um, a woman kept in domestic servitude in the United States for several years was rescued when a neighbor, noticing that she had a large tumor, offered to take the woman to the emergency room and health clinic, uh, where luckily the healthcare providers asked the right questions and realized the woman was a victim of human trafficking. So as a result, they helped the woman escape her situation and receive the medical attention she so desperately needed. Uh, and her employers received 15 to 20 years in jail. This is a success story because first, the neighbor took the important step of bringing the woman to the emergency room. And second, because the health ex providers examining the woman were able to look beneath the surface to probe whether or not she was a possible trafficking victim. And so, Sandy, today we're going to discuss the important role that healthcare providers play in identifying and therefore helping victims of human trafficking. And I, I want to think a little bit outside the box about who qualifies as a healthcare provider. Mm. Um, we think, oh, it's just doctors and nurses, but there are um, uh, technicians, uh, radiologists, um, even the receptionist that is greeting people at that walk-in clinic. Perhaps especially the receptionist. Oh, yeah. And in fact, um, one of the things about this program is we're here to equip our community to end human trafficking. And focusing right now on healthcare providers as part of our community becomes an overall strategy. And one of the things that our Live to Free Club did a few years ago is they started going out to every walk-in clinic in Orange County and delivering posters and materials designed for healthcare professionals so that they would be equipped to identify and intervene when they saw a possible case of human trafficking. Mm. And the most exciting thing is that when you provide those tools for healthcare professionals, for healthcare providers, for the, the clinic person that sees those, those people come right in um, for the first time, that it results in rescues. And within hours of one day of going out and delivering materials to clinics, two victims were rescued because wow. of kids, students who went out and just gave the information to the people who were in a place where they might see trafficking victims. The other thing that often comes across my desk, especially with healthcare providers and really nurses, you know, I'm a nurse, so I have a special place there is, well, you know, should I go and work in a shelter in India or in Thailand? And this idea that in order to impact human trafficking, I have to quit what I'm doing is kind of a myth. What we really need to do is make sure everybody who is in any role understands what the issues are. And I may never encounter a trafficking victim, Dave, but if all the people around me understand what it is, somebody is going to because they're all going to be ready so that when that happens, you know what to do. How many people in their job are required to learn CPR? Many um, professionals. Many professionals. Many professionals. School teachers and you know um, camp directors. How many of them have to use it? Very, very, very few. But we all need to be ready. And that's sort of the principle um, behind having this particular podcast on how to engage 
um, the healthcare workers. And I think what you say there, Sandy, is really important. Uh, you know, it's it's wonderful when people go abroad and do things to serve trafficking victims. And you know, unfortunately, victims are everywhere, and so mm-hmm. you don't you certainly don't have to go abroad to find ways that you can serve victims of human trafficking. It doesn't matter where you are. There is something that you can do that will uh, tap into the resources that are available to some of the resources we're going to talk about today that'll educate the people around you. And unfortunately, inevitably, there are people in your community that this issue affects. That's right. That's right. Well, what would be some of the health issues that you might see? Um, that's one of the first questions that a healthcare provider is going to ask. And on the Rescue and Restore website, there is, which is sponsored by the Health and Human Services um, Department in Washington, D.C., there are tools for healthcare professionals. And one of those is a list that just says, this is what you're going to possibly encounter. And of course, some of the most um, um, common things that people think of, because sex trafficking is so much in our news media, is sexually transmitted disease and HIV AIDS. So then from a healthcare perspective, you're going to think more about also pelvic pain and um, uh, pregnancy that's a result of rape or prostitution. And a, a, a long list of possible diagnoses that might be attributable to living in a very traumatic um, lifestyle where you are being commercially sexually exploited. But then also um, from labor trafficking, what are some of the things you're going to see from a labor trafficking perspective? Quite often, it's going to be chronic back or hearing or respiratory problems from endless days of toiling in very dangerous agricultural sweatshop or construction conditions. And traffickers that use slave labor aren't particularly um, worried about taking care of their health. And we, um, we will see patients that will come in and you can't figure out how did this happen Um, And it could very likely be a human trafficking situation. Um, The other thing that healthcare providers should be aware of is that the trafficking victim is very vulnerable. And one of the uh, things that keep them under the power and the, um, the oppression is their fear and the element of coercion we've talked about many times and threats that if you tell they're going to put you in prison or they're going to do this to you. But when someone like the woman you told us the story about Dave with a tumor Mm -hmm. is with a healthcare professional that is, is um, asking questions about them, demonstrating concern and ability to take action to relieve their pain, to find a solution, their barriers, um, go down and they are more willing in that moment and may actually have more privacy in that moment where no one else will hear them tell what's going on to actually reveal the truth and Mm. say what is happening. So healthcare providers, if you're not one, um, send the link to this podcast to one of your friends that is. Mm. Nursing students, I do public health nursing lectures for the Vanguard Nursing School every year on how nurses can be involved in identifying and intervening for trafficking victims to identify them and rescue them. 
So there are lots of tools out there. One of the best, of course, is our Health and Human Services website, Rescue and restore.org. And in that particular website, you will find toolkits for law enforcement professionals and for community leaders and for healthcare providers. And you'll find handouts that you can print for your department and a PowerPoint that has everything you need to do training for your department. So if you're um, a healthcare provider in a walk-in clinic, you could download this PowerPoint and print it out and you'll need to print it out it doesn't tell you this but you'll need to print it out so that you have the notes pages available to you Mm. put them in a binder and each slide will be at the top of your notes page and then everything you need to say will be in the section underneath that slide which is how powerpoint works so you don't even have to be a powerpoint genius dave you could give this training You don't even have to know how to put together a presentation because uh, if you're not a public speaker and you're not experienced doing that, that's okay. You can still read the information. And really, it's the information that's important here of being able to get the information out to the right people. And it sounds like, Sandy, that much like we talked about the NetSmarts organization Mm -hmm. on the last episode, uh, episode number 35, and how resources are available to teachers that they don't necessarily have to create anything. It's all already been there and prepared, that the same thing's true here for healthcare providers, that there's a tremendous amount of tools and resources that are already put together and there and ready to be utilized. Exactly. And when we as a community go to our our community healthcare providers and say, well, you should be doing something about human trafficking. It's going to go a lot further if we say, oh, and by the way, here's everything you need to have Mm. a training in your hospital. And it sounds like that that's a way that our audience could potentially play a role too, even if we're not directly involved in the healthcare industry is uh, asking questions when we are seeing our healthcare providers of if this, is this the type of training that your office participates in? Is this the type of thing mm-hmm. that your staff is educated on how to do in a, in, a, in a nice and an appropriate way, of course, but to just ask some basic questions around that. All of us see healthcare providers uh, That's at right. one time or another uh, throughout the year, at least many of us do. And so this is an opportunity for us to engage in conversation other than just the normal things we talk about when we go to the healthcare provider about, you know, how much we weigh and how tall yeah, we are and all those, those things. things. That's but, right. But this is an opportunity for us to engage and to find out what they're doing and educate ourselves, but also to potentially introduce them to these materials if they're not already familiar with them. Exactly. Exactly. And the resources will help um, you begin to understand what common signs to look for and Uh, When trafficking victims uh, come to the United States, they traditionally don't speak English. So if you have someone else who's with your patient that is insisting on translating everything and stays with them all the time and and the patient is always looking for approval to them before they say anything. Uh, this raises a few red flags. And mm. why have they been here, uh, if they've been in the States for a year or two years, um, why haven't they learned English? When um, when the case that we talked about before of Shima, the Egyptian child who was in domestic servitude, when she was rescued, she had never been to a doctor. She had never learned English because she had never left the house. Mm. And so what would um, a healthcare provider be looking for? Um, a child at 
at 12 years old who doesn't speak English at all because our laws say you have to go to school. And a child who has never been to a doctor, they're afraid of everything. This, this would raise some questions if, um, if she hadn't already been rescued when, when she went to see a doctor. Um, another, another problem for uh, identifying victims is when someone is coaching them and they, they give very rehearsed responses, that's a, that's a time to look beneath the surface and ask more questions. Mm. And in these resources, there are going to be lists of questions um, that a healthcare provider would ask and if if they're in a job that's very dangerous, you can tell because um, they have respiratory problems and they are obviously not working under safe circumstances with the right kind of air filters for a construction site or something similar. Um, asking them a question directly that says, well, um, are you being trafficked? That's not going to be very effective. But here's a question you could ask that person. Well, this seems to be um, not a very healthy job. Have you thought about changing jobs? This Uh is in the course of your conversation. And when they respond, oh, no, I can't. Why can't you change jobs? Then you want to explore the the fact that they aren't free to change jobs. This becomes a red flag to explore. So this is, I think, a key point, Sandy, and I, I, I think there's a subtle distinction here, and maybe we should go back and, and revisit this for just a second. The first question you said of, are you a trafficking victim? Why is that not the question to ask versus asking some more of these subtle questions or just kind of digging under the surface a little bit? Very few victims of human trafficking know that they are victims. They often feel like they made bad choices. They thought they were coming to a job here that was going to pay them and they'd be able to send money back to their families. Um, they they don't see themselves as um, uh, having any kind of recourse to help themselves. And so they wouldn't identify themselves as a victim. And they'd be afraid to tell you that um, about their circumstances for fear of whatever the trafficker has threatened or uh, for fear that they themselves would go to jail because they've been told that, well, you came across, you don't have any documents. Or if they do have documents, um, the trafficker is holding the documents. And so if they're picked up without documents and they don't speak English, they're just going to be um, sent to jail is what they think. So they're not going to self identify. It's a really important distinction for us all to recognize and to know about because that's it's interesting that many people wouldn't identify themselves as victims for all of those reasons like you've mentioned Sandy. And and learning um when you're taking a basic history for a new patient even though they're just a walk-in pl- patient at a free clinic and you may never see them again, asking some of those basic questions like where do you live? How many people live there? How long have you lived there? You begin to see some um, trends with Mm. trafficking victims. And all of that material is very clearly identified in this PowerPoint. Um, Asking, it gives you a complete list of questions that you would ask a possible um, trafficking victim after Mm. you've begun your history. And it it becomes part of doing a normal history assessment for a new patient. Well, Interesting. for instance, the question I ask, um, can you leave your work or job if you want to? And when you're not working, can you come and go as you please? Um, has anybody 
ever threatened you if you wanted to quit? Is your family threatened? As you build trust with a patient, you can ask those questions. Where do you sleep? Where do you eat? Um, who prepares the food for your for your the workers here? Mm. And um, uh, do you have to ask permission to eat or to sleep or to go to the bathroom? Things that uh, we might not think to ask after years and years of following up with this then um, they've created this list of questions. And you might not ask all of those questions, but you might choose two or three of those questions as a healthcare provider doing an assessment. It's a really important reminder for us, Sandy, for those of us that might run it, be in professions, not just healthcare, that run into um, could, or could potentially run into trafficking victims, is that you know we all get caught up in our own worlds and what we expect and what we perceive as the norm. And we forget sometimes that there's a lot of different things going on in this world. And sometimes asking some stepping outside of ourselves and asking some of those what may seem like basic questions, but um, get, can really quickly get to the root of what's really going on. Just like the, uh, the story that started the, the PowerPoint that you read about the woman with the tumor yeah, and her neighbor got involved. So it was really a community effort, not yeah. just one person. And by the way, the story is right out of the training material. Yes. So that's a story you could utilize as well. And all the details of that are right at the beginning of this presentation. Another good resource for um, more training for healthcare providers is on the NIH public access website. Um, NIH is National Institute of Health. And they have some articles, one of these, um, the role of the healthcare provider. And the introduction has a quote from my friend, Melissa Farley. And I, I love this quote, trafficking can only exist in an atmosphere of public, professional, and academic indifference. Mm. So as long as we don't see it and are apathetic about learning what it is, then we won't even know to look beneath the surface. We won't even um, take the extra time to pro provide this kind of training in whatever our work environment is. And so because we are not indifferent, we are making sure that people have these resources. And now, just a reminder for all of us too, is you know the most recent trafficking in persons reports, I think Sandy reports something like, and this is a conservative estimate, that there's 17,000 people that are trafficked to the United States every year. Now, if you think about that number and then think about the number of county, states, medical clinics here in the states mm. and how many of per uh, office, per county that that represents, that number, uh, there is just about somebody everywhere that will come into contact with a trafficking victim, uh, either in a formal capacity or informally. And, and it's so, so amazing when we find out that a case was discovered someplace in a remote rural area in the Midwest, because we kind of have this idea it only happens in New York and California and Texas. But um, trafficking victims end up all over the U.S. Um, on the NIH, uh, the role of the healthcare provider website in this article, there is a complete list of common health problems, very succinct, anxiety, chronic pain, cigarette burns, complications from an unsafe abortion, contusions, depression, fractures, gastrointestinal problems, headaches, 
oral health problems, you know, they've never seen a dentist, pelvic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, sexually transmitted infections, suicidal ideation, unhealthy weight loss, unwanted pregnancy, and vaginal pain. Now, all of those um, are things that could be the result of other health issues. But when you get um, a, a few of those, along with asking these other questions, then you begin to put together a picture of someone who's being exploited. And you need to know that there is a way to report that. And on the HHS material, it always closes with the hotline number, 888-3737-888. And that is what, as a healthcare provider, you don't have to take care of them, but you do need to report so that the resources that are available um, will be um, at their um, disposal. Now, in this NIH um, article, there's a great story, a case study of a 26-year-old female who came uh, to the U.S. from Mexico from a small farming community. Um, She speaks uh, Spanish and no English and uh, left two young children behind and during the border crossing was forced to walk for days in the Arizona desert with little food or water. And um, she was then transported to New Jersey when she arrived and was placed with a family to work as a nanny. And in the, um, in the case study, it goes into a lot more um, detail. And now we see her presenting at the clinic with abdominal, abdominal pain and an unusual um, discharge and has... Um, a male who is interpreting for her, and she seems very tense. And she's in the examination room, and he states that he is her boyfriend and that he's holding their child. Now, when um, we read this article, the author says, as the omniscient reader of the case study, how might you advise the clinician to proceed? Because we understand the, poss- the strong possibility that this is a trafficking case. And so then the article will take the healthcare provider through um, possible outcomes with this scenario, which is a great learning tool in the clinic clinical situation. And I know that was a little more um, detailed for our general audience, but I want to demonstrate for you how um, great the materials and resources are that have been developed to help healthcare professionals. Also, I mentioned that 888-3737-888 number, and that number is um, sponsored by the Health and Human Services and is part of the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, which is contracted to the Polaris Project. And the Polaris Project is another great place to get resources for all kinds of professionals, and in particular, for healthcare providers, they've developed a medical assessment tool that fits the the um, paradigm that that medical professionals often use. If you see this, then you can do this, and if this mm. happens, then no, don't go this direction. Go this sure. way. So you have um, a, a a flow chart with the signs to look for, the first response. After you've treated the medical concern, and then you've assessed and you've asked some of those questions about um, 
if you're being forced to work to pay off a debt, then it gives you call the 888-3737-888 number. Or if not, you still have someone who's in some sort of difficult position and you do need to um, involve local social services. So even if it's not human trafficking, if you've identified someone that things just don't seem right, you you want to make sure that they're referred for more services. And then after you call the 888 number, you assess for danger to this particular person and you will make, um, if you need to, a 911 call if you need immediate assistance. These are the resources at the Polaris Project with their medical assessment tool. All of this is available to healthcare providers no matter where you are, and it doesn't cost anything. So we want to make sure that our local community healthcare providers have those resources available to them. Sandy, I'm always struck every time we talk of how much is out there that is available, quality material, in most cases free. Mm-hmm. Uh, taxpayer dollars have already invested in it, paid for it, and are just super great tools and resources. And now we just need people to take that last step, that last step of having to all that effort, time, resources that's gone into putting these materials together and have make that connection to the people who are on the front lines of being able to utilize them well. And that's one of the great values I know that you bring, Sandy, and the center brings is really studying the issues and allowing people to be a voice and make a difference and being a voice out there that helps make those connections and educates people about those resources. And in fact, that's one of the goals of the conference that's coming up in March is to educate the community that cares about human trafficking uh, issues and wants to end it to be able to understand a lot of these tools and resources out there. And it's coming up in March of 2013. I know that seems like a ways away now, but it is a um, a conference that I would really encourage everyone to check out. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Insured Justice 2013 is March 8th and 9th this coming spring when it's nice and sunny in California, in case you're in some place that you'd like to get warm. Exactly. And our theme this year is cyber exploitation. How are we going to end human trafficking by being better at preventing our children from being exploited and um, taking the steps necessary to reduce demand and using um, a little bit more wisdom about how we use the internet when it can contribute to um, cyber exploitation and human trafficking. And if you'd like to pre-register for that conference and learn more about the conference and what we're going to be talking about at the conference, go to insurejustice.com. That will take you to the conference page. And of course, you can always find out more about the Global Center for Women and Justice at our website, which is gcwj.vanguard.edu. And of course, the Global Center for Women and Justice is housed here at Vanguard University of Southern California. And Sandy, before we go, I want to remind our listeners that if you've been listening to this podcast and it's been helpful to you, there's a way you can help us to reach more people and connect with more people who care about this issue and want resources to get out there. And that would be to go on to iTunes, especially if you're an iTunes user, search for us, uh, just search for Ending Human Trafficking. And if you would take just a moment, it takes about two minutes to write us a review. 
on this podcast. That will help us to come up further in the rankings on iTunes. When people get onto iTunes and they search for human trafficking, they will find us as a resource and they can join our community to help to learn how to end it. Sandy, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.